0: Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash forward slash Theology in the Raw, um, and you can support the show for as little as five bucks a month. And uh, in return, you get access to premium content. If this show has been a blessing on you on, in any form, or has challenged you in any way, I encourage you to come and support Theology in the Raw, be part of the Patreon Theology in the Raw community. If you don't want to support the show, that's totally awesome. I hope you enjoy this forthcoming episode with the R.C. Sproul Jr. And yeah, so it's it's him. That's him. That's who we're going to talk to. It's the son of R.C. Sproul Sr., who I'm going to guess the majority of you have not only heard of, but who has been formative in your life. R.C. Sproul Sr. has been especially early on in my Christian journey, I so loved the work of R.C. Sproul Sr. Yes, he's super reformed. Yes, he's a five-point Calvinist. Yes, he believes in predestination in its most absolute form. And I know for some of you that might drive you crazy and it might, you know, maybe you didn't like his theology. But as you will hear, R.C. Sproul Sr. was an absolute committed Christian, a committed father, a funny guy, a good hang. Um, He's the kind of Christian that I would want to be, really. And I really mean that, even if I might not resonate with every aspect of his theology. I I did early on. I mean, I was hyper-reformed growing up in my Christian journey and uh, R.C. Sproul fed into some of that, but I was always enamored by the humor and the authenticity of R.C. Sproul Sr. R.C. Sproul Sr. passed away, um, I believe it was last year actually. And uh, R.C. Sproul Jr. has been part of Lingenier Ministries for a number of years. He's written over oh, 10 or 11 books. And um, I, I I have not talked to or emailed with or done had any correspondence with R.C. Sproul Jr. or R.C. Sproul Sr. for that matter. And so... Um, I scheduled this podcast and I was super stoked to get to know him because I'm like, dude, what was it like growing up as R.C. Sproul Jr.? Like, what is that? What did that look like? <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't, I, 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 don't know too much about R.C. Sproul Jr. Or I didn't. And now I do. And I love the guy. He's awesome. We had a great conversation. I think you're going to absolutely love this, especially especially if you grew up in a brand of evangelicalism that was kind of a conservative reformed-ish, which is probably a lot of you. And I'm sure if you grew up in that environment, R.C. Sproul Sr. was part of that environment. Maybe now you're kind of like revisiting some of those theological presuppositions that you grew up with, or maybe you, maybe you hate Reformed theology. Maybe you just don't embrace it anymore. I think you will absolutely love this conversation. R.C. Sproul Jr. is the real deal. He is raw. He is authentic. He loves Jesus. He loves grace. He loves the cross of Jesus Christ in the most authentic way <laughs> that I can see. And so please welcome to the show. The RC Sproul, Junior. All right, we are live. I am here with RC Sproul. Jr. And I'm so excited to get to know uh, R.C. on the show. R.C., are you related at all to R.C. Sproul Sr.? Well, any- yes, oh, I yeah. am related. <laughs>
1: uh, so- <laughs> he, uh, he and I were very close when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> in um, fact, I... he had a, a long lasting relationship with my mother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that goes. So you actually yeah. have a book. Is it coming out or it is out? It's coming yeah, out? It's coming out uh, May 14th. And the title is Growing Up with RC, right?
1: Yes. And the, the width is in parentheses. The idea is it's, it's about me growing up and it's about me growing up with my father and... Um, you know, what, what the, what the book is, what we want, what I wanted to do uh, first of all was to, to honor my father. We, we, you know, it would have been established uh, that a fellow that a friend of mine that I used to work with, Dr. Steve Nichols, who's the president Mm -hmm. of Reformation Bible college would write Mm -hmm. sort of the official biography of my father. And and he's much more capable of doing something like that than I ever would be. Um, But I wanted to, give people a glimpse of what it was like to have him as a father. Because that, that's really, mm-hmm. you know, I always joke about the, the you know, the, the question my father got more than any other was that difficult theological question, where did evil come from? Uh, <laughs> his answer as a lifelong Steeler fan was Oakland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the question I got more often than anything else was what, what you know, what was it like to have R.C. Sproul as your father? Yeah. And uh I wanted to honor him and, and and show the kind of things that he poured into me, mm. and so each of the chapters is a a conversation that I actually had with my father, okay. uh, something that you know might have happened when um I was a little boy and we were just playing catch, and I remember him telling me this, mm. and this is why he told me this, and this is what I took from this. Uh, And it goes from really my my birth. Mm -hmm. uh, One of the interesting providences of God is that the day that I was born, my father's mother passed away.
0: Really? Yes. And it
1: had been her lifelong goal to see my father ordained into the ministry and to see my father have a male heir. And the day I was born, not only was I born, but in the mail that day came the dress my uh, grandmother had gotten for my dad's ordination and the invitations for his ordination. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so these things just came to fruition and she was, I guess, ready to go and she went. But it starts with that story and really how I got my name. I was supposed to be named something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but my father had a, uh, an aunt in the hospital. And after I was born, he went up to visit her and told her that what well, they were planning to name me. And his, his aunt was like, you, you can't do that. Mm. you got to name him Robert C. Because the reality is I'm the fourth generation in a row. First name Robert, different middle initial C. Which means, by the way, legally I'm not a junior. I'm what I call yeah. a junior of convenience.
0: Oh, is that the official name for the fourth generation? Or
1: no, it's just uh, – it's convenient to, the, because the C's are different, it's not really anything.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah.
1: But it's still uh, RC. Do you go by RC or do you go I by I do Robert? go by RC, oh, which so is well, why I you. use the junior to make sure that okay. uh, we distinguish. Because I couldn't get the rest of the world to agree with the, <laughs> the better differentiation. Yeah. I would always refer to my father as RC the less handsome. But I <laughs> <just laughs> forgot people to buy into that. Uh, Can you give but, us an
0: insight into your – let's just start with – yeah, into growing up with RC as a dad. What what was that like? I mean, um...
1: well, one of the things I mentioned in the in the book is the reality is that his visibility uh, changed radically during my life. Okay, that when I was a, a little boy, let's say through uh, at least junior high school, the you know, nobody in my world knew who my father was. Nobody in my social okay. world, in my classes, at school, yeah. my teachers, and the, the weirdest thing about it was trying to explain to people what my dad did. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't go to an office every day and, and balance some company's assets and liabilities, which is what his dad did. His dad was a, uh, an okay. accountant, but, uh, that was hard. But so for me, he didn't, his visibility didn't really skyrocket until I was in high school. Okay, um, and even there, it, it wasn't like uh, my world was terribly familiar with him, mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, I went to a secular high school, and it was far away from where I grew up. So all of that to say, my experience was really with my father as a father, okay. more than as a theologian. Hmm. Now there were blessings and opportunities and things that I was able to learn. One of the, one of the great blessings was that when I was young, what we, the Ligonier Ministries, which is the name of the ministry that he founded, but it was originally called the Ligonier Valley Study Center. And hmm. it started on this plot of 50 acres out in the rural Western Pennsylvania. And this was in the early seventies and, these sort of Jesus freak kind of people would would kind of show up mm. and hang out and uh, there would be a lot of teaching, um, but these students would, would stay in our homes it was in some ways like Labrie, although a little yes. less evangelistic, a little bit more uh, discipleship. And not only would they stay in our homes, they would eat their dinners in our homes. And so we mm. would be at the dinner table and there would be five or six or eight students mm. Uh, at the table, and you'd have this conversation back and forth, just like Luther did mm-hmm. in the days of the Reformation. And there was table talk. And so, mm. so much of the book is talking about the, the manner in which my father poured into me uh, wisdom in the context that is organic and life-centered and mm. not abstract,
0: Like meeting for coffee every Tuesday morning at six and Right, Like it was more just life on life. Here's my list
1: of things I want you to get.
0: Yeah, right. Wow. So, I, you know, I grew up, um, I got saved at 19. I'm 43 now. So I grew up, you know, my household was filled with cassettes, cassette tapes with uh, John MacArthur, um, D. James Kennedy, Charles Stanley, you know, Andy's dad, Uh (laughs) (laughs) Chuck Swindoll, and then uh, R.C. Sproul. Uh-huh. And uh, so that my, my first exposure to the face was very influenced by, yeah, I would say primarily like, yeah, John MacArthur, your dad, and, and a few others. Um, now, uh, when I listen to some of those people, you know, they're wise, they're good Bible teachers, they're smart and all this stuff, but they wouldn't necessarily, like looking back, I wouldn't say, you know what? I would love to hang out with that person necessarily. Right. Like, your dad seems like a, he'd be a fun hang.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I mean, he's hilarious. He is hilarious, at least off the cuff. I mean, just his humor and everything. Did that, if I can ask, I mean, again, if there's anything I asked, you're like, you know what, I'd rather not go there, just let me know. But Uh, did that, is that really who he, like the real funny witty, that's.
1: Yeah, in fact, there's a, you know, one one of the things I like about the book is I felt like I was able to pass on some of the blessings that he gave me get not just in, in the same way that he gave them to me, telling the story is the story. Uh, you know, you, you all, you know, having spent as much time as you have in evangelicalism mm-hmm. that our idea of uh, art is to begin with a proposition <laughs> and to stick a story <laughs> onto it with a couple yeah. of nails. Yeah. And uh, you know, you, you probably know you're familiar with the, the, the line that, c.s lewis said about how uh the chronicles of narnia started it started with this image in his mind of a fawn in the woods in the snow carrying packages started with that didn't start with Hmm. justification by faith alone how can i (laughs) illustrate that um and so in telling these stories that actually happened and that were real i am grateful to be able to to teach something and one of the things that I teach is to, and it talks about his humor and where mm-hmm. it comes from and yeah. and even that that whole concept of uh milieu I, I, one of the chapters and this might be a little controversial but that's always good for a podcast yeah, yeah. one of the chapters uh <laughs> the chapter title is my Drugs." d-r-o-o-g-s and some of you already know what it's going to be about if you know what that if you're familiar with that word and most of you probably don't but here's what it i don't was. know
0: what that means I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat.: that's good you're a more
1: pious man than i am <laughs> uh, it's the story of when i was in high school and my father took me to the movies and we went and saw a clockwork orange the Clockwork Orange was a Stanley Kubrick movie which came out after uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Okay. And it is, uh, sorry, Malcolm McDowell, and it is uh, based on a novel by Anthony Burgess who was an uh, English uh, author, one of my favorite authors. But it was originally rated X when it was released. Not because it was designed to be a pornographic movie. Yeah. It was actually very, you know, sort of intellectual yeah. movie. But there were some graphic scenes in it and yeah. there i am 15 years old sitting beside my dad watching this movie and you know blushing glad it's dark so that my red <laughs> face is not glowing too 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 much but when we finish the movie we go out to lunch and he starts breaking this movie down for me about how he explains to me what behaviorism is huh. as an ism this this uh notion that you know came from uh B.F. Skinner and, okay. and yeah. others before him, this psychological idea that we're shaped by our environment, which is really what this movie's all about. And it's a rejection of that. It's a retort hmm. to that behaviorism. Uh, and, you know, it was like my dad just sort of transformed into Francis Schaefer right yeah. before my very eyes. Wow. And wow. I was old enough to think, you know, holy cow. Hmm. But the point of the story was, not that he did that, but then 20 years later, I was trying to encourage him in some way, and I was telling him the story. I said, remember, Dad, when you took me to see Clockwork Orange and you sat down with me and you broke it down and you just blew my mind? And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you remember when we went and saw Clockwork Orange? He's like, I never saw Clockwork Orange. No way. Yes. Like, it, was like, in you in denial? <laughs> you saw <it> with me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, no, I never saw it. And, and I told him, this is what you told me about what it meant. And, and, and yeah. no, I never saw it. But my po- in, in, in telling the story, what I wanted to say to my readers was you know, my dad didn't do that evangelical thing yeah. where he, he lived in the abstract in his mind yeah. and he searched out for a helpful illustration huh. to make the point to people. Yeah. But he actually looked at the world through his theological huh. convictions. So the yeah. the ideas and the illustrations, they were natural and real and came out of yeah. uh, himself. He's a great, he's a fantastic storyteller. Yes. He's he a is.
0: great story. Just even the tone of his voice and his cadence and everything. And I heard him um, yeah. um, when I heard back in seminary, I went to master's college and seminary, uh-huh. John MacArthur's place. And uh, I think, I th- it was at the college, but I think I was in seminary. Heard RC was going to you know, be in chapel. And, and he, uh, he, so the, the, the chapel of Masters College is a gym. They get they transform it into a chapel. Then they play basketball in the afternoon. So everything's kind of moving and shaking everything. And so they do worship. And then they had the, the podium they would have to bring up on stage. And he is, get, he is walking up on stage. He notices that there's four students with this big wooden, you know, pulpit they're carrying. And he goes, he goes, Stop. And then the whole room's kind of quiet. And off the cuff, he tells this probably five minute story um, while they're holding the pulpit. The guys are, you know, if RC says stop, they're not going to, you know. And then somehow, I have no clue what the story is, but it ended with somebody saying, you know, in the story, bring me my pulpit or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The whole place, we're on the edge of RC because he's real serious and everything. And we didn't know it. it was just such a meaningless story just to like provide some humor. I was dying. I was like, and that was back in an environment where, you know, it was kind of like debatable whether you should ever use humor in a sermon right, you yeah, know, would, and, and, a or tell a stiff. story, you know, just execute yeah. the text and, you know, let the spirit do the rest. And, and I was just so fascinated that he's obviously a very reformed, you know, conservative theologian, but he knew the power of a, of a story. And sometimes yes. to tell stories. It seemed like just to, you know, connect to the audience and make it, you know, a, tan, a, truth tangible. And I, I always respected that he, even, you know, he, here he is in this very conservative world, but I feel like he was a, kind of a fish out of water to some extent. Um, well,
1: and, and that's, you know, maybe the broader lesson for me and from him, you know, what w- my goal for the book is I, I, I'm persuaded that there is uh, a, a, epidemic in the evangelical church, particularly in the reformed uh, wing of the evangelical church of what I like to graciously, tactfully, and probably could never say in chapel at master seminary, uh, <laughs> what I call spiritual constipation, <laughs> where we, you know, yeah. we have all these good ideas, all these sound thoughts, all, and they're good and important and biblical and yeah. faithful and historical, and they're stuck in our heads. Yeah, but they don't get down into right. our
0: hearts. Yeah. and
1: uh, you know, I wanted to show that this stuff was real to my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my and and when I one of the, the book actually begins, the very first chapter is not about my birth. The very first chapter is an introduction that gives the uh, account of the morning I walked into uh, a courtroom in chains. Utterly unable to remember the night before, wow. because I had been drinking yeah. and driving. Yeah, and I I, I tell this story and I'm trying to tell it in some ways like right. my father would, and, and real and open and honest and and raw, mm-hmm. and then talk about well, what do you do
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you're in that situation? And I talk about how. What you do is what you always do. Whatever the problem is, the solution is always to believe the gospel. Right, yeah. And when I'm in there, I'm that, that's the only thing I can do. I, I've got to believe Jesus died for sinners like me. And then I talk about, well, in our world, we believe that once. Yeah, yeah. But when... <laughs> But once you get that, then you're not supposed to have any big sins anymore. Of course, right. we do sin, but we're not supposed to have any big sins. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: we struggle with pride, right? Yes. <laughs> or, um, or we're being a workaholic. <laughs> yes. exactly. Socially, I, I lose socially my temper Socially with acceptable sinners sins. Yeah. From time to time. <laughs> uh, can, can you go back? So our audience may not know about that. I mean, it was obviously very public. Um, can you go back and just rehearse that situation? I
1: mean, you got it. Well, it was, it happened uh, in November of uh, 2016. So this is fresh.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's not too long ago.
1: Oh, not too long ago. Well, yeah. Yeah, I like to think it's uh, forgotten and old, but yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I was, I had too much to drink. I. I. I drank to the place where I didn't know to stop.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah,
1: uh, I, I certainly got there on my own. And one of the things I can talk about in that chapter is there is no excuse. Yeah. And that even, even to argue that, well, I'm a sinner. And that's why that happened in some ways can be a deflection. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause what I really need to say is, yeah, I'm a sinner. Like I'm yeah. really bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how that happened. Yeah. Um. And, you know, but again, when I point out that 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 view, that tendency we have, you're allowed to have scandalous uh, sins before your conversion, but you're not yeah. allowed to have them after your conversion. And I, you know, the reason we seem to think that is that we're so unfamiliar with our Bible, uh, <laughs> because there are scandals galore for believers in the Bible from beginning to end. Yeah. And uh, you know, we we all need the gospel, including believers. Yeah. Uh, and so moving from that the whole the whole book is, is sort of goes from grace to grace from that moment to uh, the moment we put my father in the ground mm-hmm. and everything in between was my father telling me jesus died for sinners mm-hmm. in fact that it concludes with the last words i said to my father uh when he was uh, in a coma and i was alone with him in the hospital room and this was a little more than a year after uh, I'd been arrested for driving under the influence. And I said to him, you know, dad, you know, I've always wanted you to be proud of me. And I said, but what you don't know is that it wasn't for me. It was for you. I didn't want you to be proud of me so that I could feel good about myself. I wanted you to know you were a good dad. I didn't want you uh, being afraid or fearful that you had not done well. Mm -hmm. And, here you are on your deathbed mm-hmm. and your son has had to resign from teaching at your college, working with your ministry. Your son is uh, at that point, I think I was still on probation, I think at that point, um, you know, all this stuff and you're about to die. And I don't want you walking into the pearly gates thinking, well, I, I let my son down.
0: Hmm.
1: And I said, so, because dad, you didn't. Hmm. And the reason I'm telling you, you didn't is not because uh, this is all my fault. Yeah, <laughs> Although it is. But my point was, your job wasn't to make sure these things didn't happen to me. Yeah. Your job was to make sure that I knew that Jesus died for sinners. Hmm. And you told me that every day of my life. Wow. And that's what I need. And that's what a successful father does. A successful father is not someone who has a son who doesn't get into trouble. Mm-hmm. It's someone who has a son who every time he gets into trouble, he runs to Jesus and says, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner.
0: That's so good. Wow. What was, um, that's so good. What, what was his reaction when you got the DUI and did you actually go to prison or, you know, you're on probation, right?
1: No, I was on probation. Okay. Um, I could have, hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah. Um but um he was very uh kind and supportive and understanding and uh but you know not not in a, a way that was um you know deflecting of my responsibility. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't say it wasn't your fault, he didn't say it was your environment. <laughs> uh, you're a victim, you're a victim. Yeah. <laughs> um but like I said, he he said Jesus came to save sinners, and uh, hmm. you know this is the only hope any of us have. Yeah. Now, what about and, your
0: your reformed environment that you are mm, in? We're in. What was the ripple effect? Of that?
1: Well, there you know there, there's still one of the things that I've learned is and I don't know if it's a, a, a reformed thing or whether it's just a a name thing. And of course, I'm, I've never had a, a huge name, but I shared a name right. with someone who had a huge name. And uh, people do have these expectations that you are different, better, higher, purer, cleaner, yeah. etc. cetera. And when you stand up and say, no, I'm not, what they do is think, Oh, look how humble you are. You're so much better than everybody. But then when you stand up and say, and this is actually what's in the forward, and this is probably a a big controversy, but I actually had my friend Tullian Chavidian write the forward for the book. Oh, yeah. Who's no stranger to scandal either. He wrote the forward
0: to my book on grace, Tullian. Oh, good.
1: Well, he did an amazing job. I mean unbelievably good job i mean i i I was in tears reading this not that it's hard to get me into tears um but i was in tears when i read it and then and then you know an hour later i'm reading it to my wife and i'm in tears again and she's in tears and it was beautiful but one of the things he talked about is how it's perfectly okay in all of our circles to talk about that we're sinners Mm -hmm. but once you mention a sin yeah
0: yeah
1: then you're you're bad news yeah and and what I was trying to get to is that one of my experiences has been, uh, you know, there's. You can go today, go out on the internet and look me up, and you'll have find lots of people out there saying I'm not repentant hmm. because they feel like not only do I owe them an apology for what I've done, I owe it to them when they're ready to hear it, and it has to be just as uh, emotional and heart wrenching as the first time Mm -hmm. I had it anywhere. And so Mm -hmm. I I mentioned in the book, you know, when this happened, I repented to the elders of my church, Mm -hmm. which is what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And they forgave me. And, you know, I'm not living in that shame anymore Yeah. because Jesus died for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, getting a language in the foreword, I just, I just loved it so much. Uh, he he encouraged me for being a good steward of my failure, and I just thought, now that's a powerful thought, being wow. a steward of your failure. And of course, you see that in the scripture mm-hmm. when Jesus is interacting with Peter, both before Peter's betrayal, when he tells him, "When you're strengthened, or when you're back, strengthen the brethren," and then when on the uh, seashore, when he says, "You know, do you love me? Feed my sheep." All of that is a, a, an encouragement, saying look, you, this is exactly what people need.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I, I, they don't need uh, role models in obedience. They need leaders in repentance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of the problem we see today when whatever you call it, our evangelical culture, our celebrity pastor culture, where when leaders aren't allowed to struggle, then that, and and they have this kind of expectation they have to meet, then they try to meet that expectation. They become isolated and closed off, and that's just a recipe for disaster. Having somebody that has all this access to power (laughs) to be kind of isolated, cut off, and not able to kind of wrestle out loud along the way, that's just a recipe for disaster. It's it's, it's, It's super sad when... The you know such a massive number of Christian leaders are falling, but it's not it, in a sense it's not surprising. It's like put any human in that kind of position, yep. like close them off, and don't allow them to struggle out loud, and so that there is something about uh, this system we've created that is like nurturing these kind of things. Would you? I mean, have you? Would you? Oh, say-
1: absolutely, I would agree. And and uh, <sighs> yeah, and I I what's worse to me. Is that it clouds the gospel? Yeah, it, it does communicate to the people in the pew that well. Yes, Jesus came to deal with the small sins that yeah. or either the big sins we used to do or the small <laughs> sins we continue to do. But mm-hmm. really, it's about how well behaved you are. Yeah. And, and, or in my circles, not even that. Really, it's about what books you have in your library. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and whose names you can drop in a conversation.
0: It's like practical pelagianism really i mean it, yes, it diminishes exactly. the well lasting said. atoning effects uh of the of the gospel I mean, of, the, of the cross right i mean it's, right. and
1: the, and the reality is again my my responsibility, my fault out of my sin, but the reality is the blessing, not saying that we sin that uh, that you know grace might abound all the more, but the blessing is when you have a spectacular public failure mm-hmm. not only can you not fake it anymore there's there's no reason to try yeah
0: yeah you
1: know uh and and you get to this place where you realize how great a savior we have
0: yeah so with your ministry what's been the lasting effects now since
1: 2016 Uh, i mean well i don't have a ministry since 2016 (laughs) Um, i hate the laugh
0: you you made me laugh but i yeah well
1: you know (laughs) The funny thing, Preston, is, and this is part of that, what I'm talking about, the, the, the view that I have to apologize to everybody one at a time, because there are people out there that are hopping that. Some people, people family, people who are friends, lifelong friends, who are saying, what are you doing? You, you know, it's not you shouldn't be going back into ministry. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, I, I teach a Bible study once a week every Monday and I put it up on Facebook live and people come and watch, but I taught Bible studies long before I was ordained, you know, and I tweet things.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and you know, there are all sorts of unordained people on Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed.
0: <laughs> uh, I would suspect I these wrote, people might not know what Twitter is.
1: The ones that are. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and I've written a book that's biographical. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, preaching on Sunday mornings. I'm not serving as an elder in a local church. I'm under authority and I'm, you know, teaching where I have opportunity to
0: teach. But even then there's no, is there, I don't think there's a, I've read it a few times, the Bible. I don't think there's a verse (laughs) that says, no, so I don't think be, I'm
1: eternally disqualified, but yeah. I do think... There may be wisdom important.
0: in taking some, you know, long time off or whatever. There may be some wisdom yeah, Let somebody
1: stuff. else decide whether or right. not I need to come back. Right, right, not right, me. right.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's how I yeah. see it. So what are... um, What are, what were the... In your environment, just growing up, what were kind of some of the pros and cons, blessings and curses, the, the good stuff, and maybe the stuff that you found was maybe not so helpful? I mean... It, it,
1: you, well yeah. I, I would say that the again the the good stuff a couple of good things one of course that my father was just a good guy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a good dad you know yeah. he was the guy who who would go out and throw the football with me he mm-hmm. was the guy who would teach me how to throw a, a knuckleball mm-hmm. um, and he was the guy who would sit down I mean not the I think maybe I joined him rather than he joined me, but we would sit down together yeah. and watch the Steelers every week <laughs> and, we, and, you know, sit down at the dinner table and talk about the Steelers every night. <laughs> um, and that was all good and uh, fun and a blessing. The blessing was too, that by being his son and living with him, what he taught just, fit naturally in okay. my head.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: All the sort of uh the 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 what's the, the the abstract kind of um framework or blueprint was already there and bricks just fit so nicely and so easily and so elegantly for me that I could just get it.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, um so that was a, a great blessing. Another great blessing was the influence of other great men that, you know, at the time I didn't even know necessarily were great men, but they were around. Yeah. Uh, His, his co-laborers were around and they were, they were a great blessing in terms of hardship. The hardship has come after his visibility took off and the hardship really is uh, this temptation overwhelming temptation to be skeptical about people who want to be my friend oh yeah you know yeah. you you just get this sense that uh they can't wait to get away from me so that they can be with their other friends and say well i was talking to my friend rc earlier <laughs> <laughs> could you sense uh, that
0: Could you did you feel that i mean is it pretty easy yeah. to pick up on you yeah and uh, so, and
1: could, it's 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 a rare thing indeed when I I make a close friend that I really believe can be genuine, and they want to be my friend.
0: Well, I guess the Mennonites are hanging out with my. They could probably care less about.
1: Well, yeah, I tell you, that's it's true. You know, when my wife and I were were you know looking for a church body here in Fort Wayne, Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually a negative. Uh, if we go visit a church and someone meets my name or learns my name and they start fussing and squawking and, uh, you know, telling all their friends, come meet R.C. Jr. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm not coming here. Yeah. Um, and there are precious few people in the church that I go to who are familiar <laughs> with the name R.C. scroll. That must be um, really
0: refreshing. I mean, in a weird way, yeah. It hmm. is, but, but it,
1: you know, I really... I am as zealously committed to Reformed theology as I have ever been. Okay. And I am also as zealously committed to uh, the, the fullness of the evangelical church as I have ever been. Hmm. And wow. so it's, it, to to be in fellowship or to be a, a member of a church that doesn't share commitment number one, yeah. but does share commitment number two, is just fine hmm. with me. It doesn't okay. trouble me at all. It doesn't diminish my commitment to the Reformed faith. So that's an Uh, odd kind.
0: That's an odd kind. That that is a. You're an interesting mix then to be, not only like say yeah, I kind of lean reform to say you're zealously committed to reform theology, and yet be able to operate in spaces where other people are not. Well, let me. I I have not met a a lot of reform people
1: who would say both (laughs) things. Let me tell you a, a, a story that was really puzzling for everybody that heard it. When we were getting ready to join this church. One of the distinctives of the church is, of course, believer's baptism. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I believed in Pedro baptism all my life since I was baptized as a baby. That's <laughs> when I started. Really. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going through new members class and they're talking about baptism and got to get baptized as a believer and yada, yada, yada. And, and I went to one of the elders and I said, um... I'm not sure what to do because my belief is in pedo-baptism and I believe I've been baptized. Mm-hmm. I'm not against believer's baptism, of right. course, um, but if you, I, I believe you should be baptized once. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but if you believe, if, if you elders believe that I need to be baptized, wow. I'm absolutely ready to do it right now. Wow. And he's like, well, I don't know, but, if, you know, uh, if, you know I mean, he's just sort of fumbling because he, he thought I was asking him to defend his view. And I said, I'm not asking you to defend your view. I don't have a debate about that. Just what I'm telling you is you are you elders are the authority over me. And if you tell me to get baptized and you're wrong, God will deal with you and he'll deal with you graciously because Jesus died for that wow. sin too. And if I'm wrong, then I'm in submission to you and you're helping me. So it's okay either way. Now that sort of Tell me what you want me view, to do and I'll do it. That view that
0: kind of high view of the leadership maybe probably threw them off cuz as far as I know the Midnight
1: yeah, Church would be exactly. much more democratic, right? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. They're like, like it, I don't know what to it do. Throws, it throws it throws people off. Yeah. Because yeah. you know everybody thinks they're Martin Luther and I think every <laughs> issue is an issue that you know here I stand I can do no other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: it's not. Now, you know, if this guy said, well, yeah, you need to be baptized and you need to believe that that baptism, you know, if he was a Campbellite or a Restorationist, and you need to believe that that baptism is part and parcel of your justification, I would have said, go pound sand.
0: <laughs> where, where do you see the... Okay, so, I mean, 2019, I mean, we're in a different world now. Um, What is the... What does, re, let's just say, the reformed camp of evangelicalism, what does it need to kind of consider reconsider do maybe 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 do differently for it to flourish in the next generation if that if that makes sense because because i've been in reformed circles and again i would consider myself reformed ish um i hold that very open-handed but um the the kind of brand of reform ecclesiology just all the stuff that comes with it that really worked in the 80s and 90s is kind of having a harder time on especially with gen z and millennials and um yeah.
1: It is, um, but I would say, I'm going to try not to take too long to get to this point, <laughs> but I remember this sort of epiphany I had one time where, you know, I had been familiar with the Willow Creek model and, mm-hmm. you know, had been an opponent of the Willow Creek model and a, a defender of uh, organs and hymns and mm-hmm uh liturgy and things such as that. And sometime in the n- 90s, uh visited a a much more maybe a Kellerite kind of okay. church plant mm-hmm. where instead of you know middle class 40-year-olds strumming guitars and singing Michael Row the Boat Ashore, it was 30-year-old guys in turtlenecks singing some jazz thing and I thought oh this is the same thing yeah as Willow Creek but with a different demographic it's the same thing except it's just it's not 80s it's 90s i mean it's <laughs> it's uh and even so much of uh, the really old school traditional worship centers of this world are built on, this is our tribe's style, yeah. which is no different than the other. thing. I mean, it's different style, but the premise is the same thing. We're going to give the people what they want. It's still
0: tribalism. It's still consumer yes. oriented, right? Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And it's still a hunger, that the, the great evangelical hunger for respectability. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the real problem yeah. in the reformed world. The reformed world thinks that the way to maintain the respectability is to look down their noses at the worldliness of the young restless reforms and the and the guys in the in the skinny jeans. Yeah. But they're just as worldly and hungering for approval by the world. They're just looking for approval by mm-hmm. older people. Uh
0: wow. Yeah. So it's a it's a denominational problem when you have that kind yeah. of mindset. It's not really unique. Yeah, and again, it looks I think different. Everybody has a
1: problem understanding their need for the gospel.
0: Yeah, including
1: yeah. the young guys. You know, I've got a, a good friend who's a pastor here in town, and you know, they're one of these grace churches and grace, grace, grace. And this is one of the reasons why we're friends. Is this, this is a guy who didn't say, "Well, you're out because you're DUI." He was a, he was good to me, yeah. and he's a good friend. But I had to tell him, I said, you know, as you're trying to instill this grace ethos in your congregation, you understand the devil's right behind you saying, yes, we're so full of grace. We're not like those other churches where they don't like grace. Mm-hmm. And it's the <laughs> same problem as the churches.
0: <laughs> I'm actually going to be out in Fort Wayne in um, September doing a one-day I do one day conferences on faith, sexuality, and gender. And uh-huh. I, f- I forget. I saw sh- that. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, um, yep. I don't know. I, f- I forget the name of the church that's hosting it, but um, yeah. Anyway.
1: I saw that too, but I don't remember yeah. either.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It might be pathway.
0: That sounds, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. What's your next uh, five, 10 years look like? What do you hope to be doing in the next five, 10 years and in, oh, in or that's... out of ministry, whatever that looks like?
1: That's rough. Um, I don't know, to to, to tell you the truth. I I would love to once again uh, be in a position where I can uh, teach apologetics, teach philosophy, Mm. teach... uh, I I taught those things at Reformation Bible College. I taught great books at Reformation Bible College and just love that. The the, the life of a college professor is very uh, appealing to me and uh, I miss it. Um, And so that's a possibility. I could conceivably end up somewhere in a pulpit somewhere i i could be uh you know i could be one of these guys who uh supports himself online yeah you know with uh a content developer yeah um i don't really know for sure i i know Mm -hmm. who does know and i know that he loves me and i trust him
0: that's so good that's a good word to end on so again the uh the book is growing up in parentheses with RC, it comes out, uh, ap-
1: May 14th. You can pre-order it now. Okay. At Icthus, I-C-T-U- I-C-T-H-U-S publications.com. Okay.
0: Oh, Ichthus, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And this is number what? 13 for you books or?
1: It depends on whether you count the ones that I was the editor for. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I think uh, 11 where it's all just me.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good record. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate, uh, your honesty and just uh, I still I'm going to think about this for a while. your strong commitment to reform theology, and yet also strong commitment to being a Christian in environments that may not hold that conviction. That's, that's, that's super rare, but I, I, I think that is that posture needs to be built into the future of reform thinking if it's going to make an impact. Um, Amen in the, in the future. So thanks so much for being on man. Thank you. appreciate it.